0: Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. The Penn Biden Center and the University of Pennsylvania's donations from China are in the spotlight. Meanwhile, Republican lawmakers want a special counsel for President Biden's classified documents. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis wants to keep the Chinese Communist Party from buying property in the Sunshine State. He says Florida doesn't need any CCP influence over its economy. The CDC allegedly ignored various safety warnings about COVID-19 vaccines. A senator is now aiming to find out more about those warnings. New York City nurses have ended their strike after three days. What's in their tentative deal with two hospital systems? More classified documents were found today in the garage of one of President Biden's Delaware homes. Republicans are calling for a special counsel. Meanwhile, the Penn-Biden Center and the University of Pennsylvania's influx of donations from China are increasingly the subject of interest. And today's Daniel Monahan has more. Classified documents belong in
1: classified settings.
2: Calls for Attorney General Merrick Garland to appoint the special counsel are growing in strength. Senator Josh Hawley says Biden's case is arguably worse than Trump's because Biden, as a vice president, couldn't have declassified the documents. Here's Hawley on Fox News. Merrick Garland said, oh, we have to have a special prosecutor for Trump. Well, that means we've got to have one for Biden. While Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene takes a harder line.
3: I'll echo again. uh, Impeach Biden.
2: Senator Lindsey Graham laments on Fox News what he feels is a low level of coverage by national media and implies a double standard. Every conservative out there is completely disgusted with the standard that exists in America when it comes to conservatives
0: and everybody else.
2: While Congressman Chris Stewart of Utah points out the seriousness of the documents found. These are classified not only top secret, but in some cases,
4: well, apparently even SCI special compartmented information, which is the highest security
2: classification there can be. At the heart of Biden's classified documents scandal is the Penn-Biden Center. Questions abound regarding Chinese donations to the University of Pennsylvania. It received nearly $80 million in gifts and contracts from China between 2014 and 2020. And the Washington Free Beacon reports that foreign donations tripled in the two years following the Biden Center opening in 2017, with most of those funds coming from China. A Penn spokesperson says that Penn is fully compliant with federal law regarding the reporting of foreign gifts and contracts. Meanwhile, Hunter Biden apparently discussed the Center by email before its launch. In 2016, creative artist agency agent Craig Goering sent an email to Hunter Biden with, quote, confidential notes from their meeting. Gering listed apparent plans that were discussed for Biden after leaving office. One of those plans included wealth creation with no additional explanation, while another included an apparent reference to the Penn Biden Center with a possible job opportunity for Hunter. According to Lindsey Graham, there could be a silver lining to the whole affair for Donald Trump. The idea of prosecuting President Trump for mishandling classified information after this has gone down dramatically. Meanwhile, Representative Jamie Raskin says the Biden administration has done everything right. Upon finding these documents, were in the wrong place. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is considering a ban on Chinese entities purchasing property in the state. The reason is the economic and security risks posed by China's communist regime. Entities. Daniel Monahan has more. We do not need
5: to have CCP influence um, in Florida's economy. The remarks follow warnings
2: from security experts and lawmakers that the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, is seeking to purchase strategic parcels of land throughout the United States. Security experts believe the CCP intends to conduct espionage or otherwise sabotage U.S. national security interests from them.
5: We don't want to have holdings uh, by hostile nations. And so if you look at the Chinese Communist Party, they've been very active throughout the Western hemisphere in gobbling up land.
2: Chinese investors purchased more than $6 billion in US real estate between March 2021 and March 2022. DeSantis says keeping the CCP from buying farmland is a positive step for which he has proposed legislation, but believes more can be done.
5: Yeah, no farmland, but why would you want them buying residential developments or things like that?
2: But he says it won't be the CCP directly signing contracts, so legislation has to be structured to effectively police it and prevent the use of holding companies and other devices. DeSantis expressed that Florida has already been active in keeping out the influence of the CCP, mentioning how the Sunshine State banned Confucius Institutes.
5: They have used those Confucius Institutes across the country uh, to basically bring propaganda into our universities, as if our universities don't have enough problems already.
2: He says Florida has also taken steps to limit the CCP's ability to fund research in Florida universities. Though outrage over the issue has been widespread in recent months, there have been relatively few concrete actions taken to curb the flow of U.S. land to CCP-aligned organizations. Rep. Elise Stefanik of New York and Rick Crawford of Arkansas introduced legislation to improve national security by preventing foreign adversaries from taking any ownership or control of the United States agricultural industry. While Washington Congressman Dan Newhouse introduced legislation in November that would prohibit foreign nationals associated with the CCP from buying any farmland, DeSantis concluded his remarks, emphasizing the necessity of disentangling the U.S. economy from China going forward. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: The U.S. and Japan are strengthening their alliance. Talks yesterday centered on countering threats from North Korea and China. In light of recent events, the U.S. and Japan condemned North Korea and China's actions, which they referred to as the greatest security challenge in the region. And today's S has the details.
5: In a joint press conference, Secretary of State Antony Blinken Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and their Japanese counterparts called China an unprecedented threat to the international order. Both countries expressed their commitment for a strengthened alliance in the Indo-Pacific.
2: I think what you're seeing in real time is an alliance that is modernizing and the United States and Japan are working in lockstep to be prepared for the emerging challenges in the Indo-Pacific and beyond.
6: Japan and the United States remain united in our concern over China's destabilizing actions. And I want to reaffirm the United States' ironclad commitment to defend Japan with the full range of capabilities, including
5: nuclear. Both countries signed an agreement reflecting efforts to deepen cooperation across a wider scope, including space, cybersecurity, and emerging technologies. THE FOUR OF US AGREED TO
2: PROMOTE INITIATIVES IN EXTENSIVE AREAS, INCLUDING THE EFFECTIVE OPERATION OF COUNTERSTRIKE
5: CAPABILITY BASED ON BILATERAL COOPERATION. MEANWHILE, BRITISH PRIME MINISTER RISHI SUNAK MET WITH HIS JAPANESE COUNTERPART FUMIO KISHIDA IN LONDON ON WEDNESDAY. KISHIDA'S VISIT IS PART OF A TOUR OF GROUP OF SEVEN COUNTRIES. AT THE CORE OF THEIR TALKS, was also the challenge that China presents in the Indo-Pacific region. Both countries signed an agreement that will allow them to deploy forces on each other's soil as part of a strategy to build security and trade ties. Cost MNS, NTD News.
0: Japan's Prime Minister will visit the White House tomorrow. It's part of his group of seven tour, which includes the US. U.S. officials say the talks will likely center around security issues, the global economy, and control of semiconductor exports to China. Newly released information shows the CDC received numerous safety warnings about COVID vaccines after monitoring them. A senator is now trying to find out what those warnings meant. Republican Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin is questioning the CDC. Back in 2022, the CDC's director claimed that safety monitoring revealed no unexpected safety signals for the vaccines. But the results to which she was referring showed hundreds of safety signals or adverse events potentially linked to the shots. The Epoch Times obtained those results through a Freedom of Information Act request. Senator Johnson in a January 10th letter demanded the CDC explain how it determined what is and is not an unexpected safety signal. From Johnson's letter, quote, the American people have a right to know the extent to which your agency was aware of and tracked COVID-19 vaccine adverse events. Your lack of transparency is unacceptable. Without immediately providing complete and reliable information about COVID-19 vaccine adverse events, you are obstructing congressional oversight and leaving the public in the dark. According to an Epic Times report, the CDC has made multiple false statements on the outcomes found from an analysis. It involved comparing the number of adverse events after COVID vaccination to the number of adverse events reported after vaccination with other vaccines. Johnson says the CDC didn't explain why it offered false information. A spokesperson for the agency said that no CDC workers intentionally provided false information. The newly obtained results of the analysis show the CDC found hundreds of adverse events met the threshold for a safety signal. The Epic Times reports that those included severe conditions such as blood clotting and even death. The agency said it would investigate the issue. However, it's not clear if it did so. Senator Johnson urged the CDC to respond within a week. Thousands of New York City nurses are returning to work today after a 3-day walkout. They've reached tentative deals with hospitals over their demands. Over 7,000 nurses went on strike this Monday after negotiations with two hospital systems fell through. The nurses demanded an increase in nurse-to-patient ratios. Negotiations ran into the late hours last night. The nurses argued that widespread staffing shortages led to overburdened employees and burnout, and that this negatively impacted patient care. The new staffing ratios take effect immediately at hospitals within the Mount Sinai Health System for all inpatient units. At Montefiore Health System facilities, nurses won new staffing ratios in the emergency department only, but failing to meet staffing levels in all units can now be punished with fines. Still to come, Alabama Republicans issue a vote of no confidence for Ronna McDaniel. The RNC chair is facing challenges to securing a fourth term in the position. And Mexico arrests 11 people in relation to a recent attack on a journalist. Authorities say they could be charged with attempted murder. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. RNC incumbent chair Ronna McDaniel faces obstacles in securing her fourth term. The Alabama Republican Party has issued a vote of no confidence in her, asking her to step aside for new leadership. In a newly released statement, Alabama GOP steering committee says it will stop endorsing Ronna McDaniel as chair of the Republican National Committee. The committee explained that RNC leadership needs a new vision for future elections and needs to prioritize defending the American people and their God-given rights and freedom. They believe the party should stand strong for the party platform and the principles that made this country great. The committee will call for a leadership change at the RNC's winter meeting later this month. McDaniel began serving as the RNC chair in 2017. A November letter signed by 101 RNC members showed McDaniel had enough support to stay in power, but criticism is mounting. She is now dealing with calls for her resignation from Arizona, Nebraska, and Texas. Joining Alabama, a Texas GOP committee also voted no confidence in her fourth term, citing losses in the 2020 election and the disappointing 2022 midterms. Among McDaniel's current challengers are Republican attorney Harmeet Dillon and MyPillow CEO Mike Lindell. Over in Georgia, the state government adopts a rule change to increase lawmakers' privacy. It comes after some lawmakers were forced to testify in a 2020 election-related special grand jury probe. The change would make testimony in this situation unnecessary. It would also shield communications between lawmakers and people outside the legislature. The Republican-controlled legislature voted to support the rule change while most Democrats voted against it. The Georgia House Majority Leader says it also gives the public a sense of relief that their communication with a lawmaker won't become public at some point. But Democrats question whether Republicans are using the rule change to conceal evidence from the period following the 2020 elections. Changing the language of the legislative rules doesn't necessarily mean it would hold up in court. Judges across the country have usually denied broad claims of legislative privilege. A massive fire that erupted Wednesday morning at a chemical plant in Illinois has been contained. No injuries are reported. Firefighters responded at around 9 a.m. yesterday at the Karis Chemical Plant in LaSalle. That's about 90 miles southwest of Chicago. The local fire chief said all employees safely evacuated from the plant. Some residents reported hearing explosions, but the fire chief said he couldn't confirm that, and the cause of the fire is still unknown. Paris manufactures potassium permanganate, which is used to treat drinking water and wastewater. It also produces other chemicals like phosphates and polymers. An official from the plant says the fire started in the shipping department, but the danger has passed and the city has lifted a shelter-in-place order for the areas north and west of the plant. It was implemented as a precaution due to a large amount of smoke in the area. Now we turn to the latest from the failed cryptocurrency firm FTX. Officials overseeing the bankruptcy of FTX have recovered more than $5 billion in cash and other liquid assets. A lawyer for the failed crypto exchange said in court Wednesday those assets might be used to help repay creditors. The news significantly raises the estimated amount of funds FTX claims to hold. Last month, FTX lawyers submitted filings that showed the company and its affiliates had a total of $1.2 billion in cash, they also said they had identified more than 9 million creditors, many more than earlier estimate of about 1 million. FTX co-founder Sam Bankman-Fried has been charged with orchestrating what prosecutors call one of the biggest financial frauds in American history. Last week, he pleaded not guilty to eight federal counts of fraud and conspiracy. Panama has sent more than 55 tons of seized cocaine to the United States to be destroyed. It's part of an agreement to avoid contamination by open burning because Panama doesn't have a drug incinerator. This is the second shipment that the Panamanian government has sent to the United States. The first was in August of last year. Over in Mexico, authorities are making arrests in connection with an attack on a well known journalist. We've seen a trend of violence against media professionals in Mexico recently. On December 15th, TV and radio host Ciro Gómez Leva was ambushed by gunmen and motorcycles who fired at his armored vehicle. He survived the attack. Now 11 people are in custody. The mayor of Mexico City announced the arrest yesterday but didn't disclose their full identities. The 11 could be charged with attempted murder when they appear before a judge. Authorities are also investigating whether the group belongs to an organized crime cell and the mayor indicated that there could be further arrests. According to Paris Base Reporters Without Borders, Mexico is one of the world's deadliest countries for journalists. Eleven journalists were killed in Mexico last year. And up next, we'll look at news from Asia. Satellite images paint a picture of overcrowded funeral homes in China. They capture marked increases of activity in recent weeks. And South Korea is proposing a plan to compensate victims of forced labor during the Japanese colonial era. But not all victims are happy with the plan. We'll have the details soon when we return. Now zooming in on the COVID-19 pandemic in China, the World Health Organization, or WHO, appears concerned over the lack of transparency coming out of China. A senior WHO official said on Wednesday that the organization believes that deaths in China are heavily underreported. Last week, around 11,000 COVID-related deaths were reported to the WHO worldwide. The head of the organization said, quote, this number is almost certainly an underestimate given the underreporting of COVID-related deaths in China. The WHO has been working with China to understand better the dynamics of the pandemic there.
7: It is difficult for us to understand, uh, and many of you out there will have heard about peaks and uh, the disease peaking in certain areas, having peaked in certain cities, uh, increasingly imp- impacting in rural areas. But it's not possible for WHO to give you a, a detailed breakdown on that because we simply do not have that data. Uh, we continue to ask for that data.
0: WHO officials said that China last week shared more information about its current pandemic response, but the WHO still does not have enough information to make a full assessment of the dangers of the current outbreak. The agency is trying to have a deeper understanding of the transmission dynamics of the virus across China. Officials said the agency has offered technical support to China to help analyze the mix of viruses circulating there. COVID infections surged in China after the country lifted the zero-COVID policy last month. So far, the Chinese regime has been rejecting international skepticism of its pandemic data. Thailand has now rolled out a COVID insurance mandate for a specific group of foreign visitors. This would apply to arrivals from countries that require negative PCR tests results before returning home. This comes as China and India are requiring a negative PCR test before departure for visitors, including from Thailand. The latest insurance measure ensures that people who do get COVID can afford treatment in Thailand. Overcrowded funeral homes in China due to the recent COVID wave We've been hearing reports, and now there's evidence in the form of satellite images. Let's take a closer look. Satellite images show increased activity at
8: funeral homes across China since December. It began after Beijing rolled back its zero-COVID-19 policy and lifted lockdown orders. The satellite caught a marked uptick in the number of vehicles parked at funeral homes in Beijing and some other big cities in the last two weeks, compared to one or two years ago. One funeral home in Beijing even built an extended parking lot. COVID-19 is spreading unchecked among China's 1.4 billion people. But as hospitals and funeral homes are overwhelmed and caskets are burnt outdoors in some rural areas, Chinese authorities say only about 30 people died of the virus in the last month, triggering suspicions that the Chinese Communist Party is concealing the true death toll. Funeral homes are taking measures to cope with the surging demand for services. Some are limiting the number of corpses they accept daily. Some stopped offering memorial services, instead scheduling just two minutes for relatives to take a last look at their loved ones before cremation. Some families have been forced to wait for funeral services. Outside a funeral home in Nanjing City, cars lined up last Friday. A woman there said they had been waiting for a full day. And a resident in Shandong province told us the number of corpses That are sent to one local funeral home is now 10 times higher than usual we attended
3: the memorial service for a colleague's mother the other day the road to the crematory was blocked full of cars as the crematory staff said usually they would get seven or eight corpses per day a little more in winter with eight or nine but now there are about 90 per day
8: he added that it's not just elderly people with existing illnesses that are passing away. Young, otherwise healthy people are also dying. And with demand for antiviral drugs skyrocketing amid the COVID 19 outbreak in China, Beijing says it will remove a certain medication from its health insurance drug list in April. The targeted drug is called Paxilavid, an antiviral drug made by U.S. drug maker Pfizer. Chinese authorities attributed the removal to a high price for the COVID-19 drug quoted by the U.S. firm. But according to Pfizer's CEO on Monday, talks with China had broken off because Beijing demanded a lower price than Pfizer is charging for most lower-middle-income countries. Citing China's position as the world's second-largest economy, the CEO says he doesn't think China should pay, quote, less than El Salvador. He says the company could end up selling only to the private market in China. According to reports, Paxlovid in China costs less than $300 for a five-day course. This is lower than in both the U.S. and Europe, where prices range from $500 to $700. Within China, state media is slamming the U.S. firm, accusing Pfizer of putting profit above health and sparking a wave of opposition from Chinese citizens to the COVID-19 drug. On the other hand, China's wealthy plus high-level officials are reportedly stockpiling Paxilavid, giving it a way to curry favor with business associates. That's while boxes of Paxilavid are changing hands for more than 20 times the drug's original price.
0: More from China. A car repeatedly rammed into and crushed pedestrians yesterday, causing at least five deaths and 13 injuries. Before we show the footage, just a warning that some might find it disturbing. The hit and run happened in Guangzhou City during pedestrian rush hour. A black BMW drove at high speed through multiple crosswalks, plowing through crowds of pedestrians. Some motorcycles were knocked down, including one from police who arrived on the scene. The car later stopped on a sidewalk, and the driver came out and threw money into the air. <laughs> He was later arrested. During his arrest, he shouted that he is a nephew of the party secretary of Guangdong province. Some witnesses at the scene shouted that he killed people on purpose, but the motive is unknown. The videos disappeared quickly in China after going viral. In China, the party secretary has more power than the provincial governor. That's because the Communist Party is in control of the government. Another similar incident happened in Shanghai where a car smashed into a hotel on Tuesday. A white sports car was seen smashing into an upscale hotel in Shanghai. It drove through the lobby and knocked things over. The incident happened after a guest entered into a dispute with the management of the luxury accommodation. No one was injured. A 28 year old man was arrested. Local media reported he was upset because of the loss of a laptop during a stay at the hotel. Now we turn to South Korea. The country is trying to resolve a long-time contention with Japan. The government plans to compensate victims of Japanese colonial forced labor. The South Korean government unveiled a plan today to compensate the victims through its own public foundation instead of using funds from Japanese companies. Korea was a Japanese colony from 1910 to 1945. During World War II, Japan forced some Koreans to work at Japanese companies. This has long been a source of contention between the two countries. As part of a 1965 treaty, Japan gave South Korea hundreds of millions of dollars in economic aid and loans. Back in 2018, South Korea's Supreme Court ordered Japanese firms to pay reparations to former forced laborers, but none of the companies did. The South Korean government now says the reparations will come from a foundation that's funded by businesses that benefited from the 1965 treaty. But the new plan is now prompting backlash from some families and their victims. Some of them say the plan would relieve Japan of its obligation to pay and apologize. Their supporters held a rally in front of the South Korean parliament as the government met to discuss the plan. And now over to India. The country plans to demolish some buildings in a Himalayan town near its border with China. This is after hundreds of homes developed cracks. Authorities said nearly 700 houses in the town have developed cracks and some 400 people have been moved to safer locations. The town has about 17,000 people and it's a gateway to Hindu and Sikh shrines. The area has long been popular among pilgrims, Some women staged a protest against the demolition because the town's marketplace will likely be razed to the ground. India's Supreme Court will hear an appeal that seeks damages for affected residents next Monday. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Just ahead, Russia is seeking to expand the age as citizens can be drafted into its armed forces. It's part of a plan by Moscow to increase the number of troops in its military. And a bill under discussion in the French parliament. It would reinstate workers suspended for refusing COVID-19 vaccines. More shortly here on NTD News Today. A senior lawmaker says Russia could raise the upper draft age limit as soon as this spring. It's part of Moscow's plans to boost the number of Russian troops by 30 percent. Russian President Vladimir Putin gave his backing to the proposal in December. It would raise the age range for mandatory service to cover citizens aged 21 to 30. The current age range is 18 to 27. Russia's armed forces are a mix of contracted soldiers and conscripts. Russia's defense minister laid out plans to increase the total number of combat personnel to 1.5 million from about 1.1 million. When asked about the possible changes, Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said Putin conceptually supported raising the draft age, but the exact details were up to the defense ministry to work out. The war in Ukraine is affecting the U.S. military as well. Navy Secretary Carlos del Toro warns that arming both Ukraine and the United States might become challenging in the coming months amid a shortage of weapons. Del Toro made the comments at the Surface Navy Association conference. He was asked if the Navy will soon have to choose between arming itself and helping to arm Ukraine. He noted that the Navy is watching the situation closely, but is not quite at the point of having to choose one or the other. He added that if the conflict goes on for another six months or a year, quote, it certainly continues to stress the supply chain in ways that are challenging. Del Toro also told reporters that the military is trying to produce supplies faster. He said the deputy defense secretary is working very closely with the defense industry. The commander of the U.S. Fleet Forces Command recently accused defense companies of using the COVID-19 pandemic as an excuse for delaying weapons deliveries. Next up, news from the UK. The nation is dealing with an ambulance workers going on strike. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak gave heated comments on the issue. Here's what happened. The labor leader asked the prime minister when cancer patients will get the certainty of quick care. He said there could be nothing more terrifying for patients than to be told that they might have cancer. The Prime Minister replied that what is really terrifying for patients in need of urgent care is the current round of strikes among ambulance workers.
5: But he talks about what's terrifying, Mr. Speaker. What's terrifying is right now. What's terrifying is that right now, people not knowing whether when they call 999, they will get the treatment that they need. Now, Mr. Speaker, in Australia, in Australia and Canada and the U.S., they ban strikes on blue light services. We're not doing that. All we're saying is that then these emergency services patients should be able to rely on a basic level of life-saving care. Why is he against that, Mr. Speaker?
0: Around 25,000 ambulance workers across England and Wales went on strike yesterday. They want higher pay. Unison, one of the trade unions representing ambulance workers, blamed the government for repeatedly refusing to come to the table for talks. Secondary schools across Scotland were closed yesterday as teachers took industrial action in a dispute over pay. It comes one day after primary school teachers in the country also walked out. The strike comes after last-ditch talks between a teaching union and the Scottish government failed to find a solution. Unions have demanded a 10% pay increase, but the Scottish government has offered 5%, including higher raises for the lowest paid staff. Some secondary schools will have to reschedule preliminary exams as a result of the strike. Primary schools around Scotland were shut two days ago due to similar strike action. It follows teacher strikes held in December and November, led by other teachers' unions. French members of Parliament are debating a bill to reinstate suspended workers. It applies to the caregivers, firefighters, policemen and soldiers who refused to get a COVID-19 vaccine. Many of them are barred from getting another job and are denied benefits. And today's France correspondent David Vives has the story.
3: Angélique Vidalet used to work at a hospital in Paris. She was suspended on September 15, 2021 along with thousands of other health care workers because she refused the COVID vaccine. Amidst the challenges she has faced since that day, one stands out for her, the death of a colleague. Vidalet says she carries a photo of Nancy at all times. She remembers discussion they had had when the vaccine mandate was announced in July, 2021.
1: She was the mother of two small children aged two and four. She had a lot of questions on the vaccine, and she had clearly said there was no possibility of getting the jab.
3: But facing the pressure of losing her job, Nancy got the vaccine and the booster in the summer of
1: 2021. She didn't want to lose her salary. It was unthinkable for her, even though she was married, and she wanted to continue to support her children, so she broke down. In fact, when she took her second dose, she started to get sick. She kept having coughing fits. It sounded like she was choking.
3: Vidalet says she was desperate when she learned that Nancy died from a heart attack in September of the same year. She says even though she could prove recovery from COVID, she was
6: sacked.
1: Being suspended like this without having committed any professional misconduct and without any salary, it's really an unprecedented situation. So on this basis, even though I've worked for 22 years and therefore paid contributions, I was deprived of unemployment benefits, even social welfare. For those who found themselves with no income, it's not possible.
3: According to European MP Michel Rivasi, there are 130,000 suspended workers in France, including healthcare staff, firefighters and policemen. In Italy and Greece, the workers who refused to take the vaccine have been allowed back to work. France is the last country in Europe where the mandate still applies. Many healthcare workers are still waiting without any salary, and they expect the vaccine mandate to be overturned. For some of them, Hope is fading and can turn to
9: despair.
1: Many of my colleagues I know ended up on the streets. Some were forced to sell their houses, to sell their cars, and unfortunately some, who were probably more fragile than others, ended their lives. This is a reality that many people try to hide, but it's there. Caregivers who took their lives, firefighters who were suspended ended their lives, and certainly other people, we haven't heard about yet
3: on thursday mps from the nationalist group will present a bill in parliament to reintegrate suspended health care workers david vives ntd news paris
0: 40 pharmacies throughout france have been producing amoxicillin capsules for children for two weeks this as france faces a shortage of children's medicines pharmacies started their production at the request of the french agency for health product safety The production of amoxicillin is a simple process, but the pharmaceutical industry has been facing production decreases. The production is done in three stages. Amoxicillin powder is bought in Spain, then it's divided in capsules and weighed. The capsules are then put into small plastic bottles to be sent based on request. Amoxicillin is a common antibiotic used to treat many lung diseases, ear infections, or the flu. Belgian and Dutch authorities have seized record amounts of cocaine at the ports of Antwerp and Rotterdam. The haul reflects the overall increase in the multi-billion dollar global narcotics trade. It targets major cities in Europe where gang warfare, murder and intimidation have become common.
7: Here at Belgium's port of Antwerp, record amounts of cocaine were seized last year. 23% more than the year before and more than double what was caught five years ago. The hike reflects a surge in cocaine and crack supply across Europe. If the numbers are, 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 are rising, it also means that the, the drugs that is entering Europe through our ports is also rising. And that, is, of course, has a huge impact on our society and on our, on our security. With it comes not only addiction, decay and death, but also violence and gang warfare pushing neighborhoods to the brink.
9: Uh, cocaine seems to be or seems to have become the new normal and it's present in all layers of society, uh, it seems to be more accepted and uh, isn't stigmatized anymore.
7: Verborg says dealers now target the poorest, most prone to addiction for cocaine and crack sales. Tiny doses of 0.2 grams sell at less than 18 pounds, a price that can literally be afforded by a beggar. Monday saw a fatal shooting of an 11-year-old girl, likely an unwitting victim of the drug war. It has become so bad that Belgian Justice Minister Vincent van Quickenborn is living in hiding after evidence emerged that criminal gangs might be seeking to kidnap him or worse. The Netherlands is home to the global port of Rotterdam. Together with Antwerp, authorities seized a combined joint record of 160 tons of cocaine.
1: Well, I think it must almost look like a war, because we are in fights and we want to outsmart the criminals.
7: Since mid-October, there were no less than 115 arrests in the Brussels neighbourhood of Marol. The power of gangs is such that within half an hour of an arrest, a new seller takes up manning the same corner.
0: Just ahead, a splendid house once owned by freed slaves in Pompeii reopens following extensive restoration and now appears almost like it did in ancient times. Ancient rest stops and markets in Morocco are being restored and it's working. Artisans are beginning to repopulate the renovated sites. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. The Parthenon marbles, also known as the Elgin marbles, are a major attraction at the British Museum in London, but Greece has long demanded the return of the marbles from the UK. The Greek Prime Minister discussed the progress of their talks with the UK on Wednesday.
7: We will continue to work toward the attainment of this goal. I do not expect immediate results, but I believe we have already moved very systematically, and if the Greek people trust us again, I believe we could achieve this target after the elections, with full respect, of course, to the obvious red lines that all Greek governments have posed.
0: Britain and Greece recently began fresh talks to end the long-running dispute over the marbles. In the early 19th century, British diplomat Lord Elgin removed the sculptures from the Parthenon Temple, which was in disrepair. He was ambassador to the Ottoman Empire at the time. Greece has accused Elgin of theft and does not recognize the British Museum as owner of the sculptures. Greece is seeking the permanent return of the marbles. Meanwhile, the British Museum has always ruled out returning the parts in its collection and maintains that they were acquired legally. The current Greek Prime Minister's term ends in July. He said he hopes to achieve the return of the sculptures if he wins a second term. There have been recent news reports in both countries saying that an agreement between Greece and the British Museum is close. It would likely involve an exchange deal. A splendid house once owned by freed slaves in Pompeii is reopening after extensive restoration. The frescoes are now showing their vivid colors once again as visitors are transported back to ancient Rome. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the details.
10: The house of the Veti shines once more in the ancient Roman city of Pompeii. Entering the atrium is like stepping back in time 2,000 years ago. The Domus appears almost as it was before lava and ash covered it during the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in the first century. The structure boasts exceptional frescoes and its famous garden sculptures.
4: So you have this um, mixture, nature, architecture, art, but it's also a story about the social life of um, the pompeian uh, society and and actually roman the roman world in this uh, phase of the uh, of history
10: the house of the vetti is named after its owners aulus vetius conviva and aulus vetius restitutus the two men did not come from noble roman families but were almost certainly freed slaves who slowly climbed the ranks of pompeian society
4: they, evidently try to, to kind of show their new status also uh, through culture and through uh, Greek mythological paintings. And it's, it's all all about saying, well, we, we have made it. And so we are now part of this elite, local elite in, in the Roman world.
10: The Domus was closed in 2002 for urgent restoration. It was partially reopened in 2016, but closed again in 2020 for the last phase of work.
4: The house of the Vetti has always been um, a case study on how do these paintings reflect the dreams and imagination and anxieties of the, of the owners um, because they lived in between these images.
10: The eruption of Mount Vesuvius in 79 AD is considered one of the most catastrophic natural events of antiquity. The rocks and ash burned everything and everyone in its path. And a huge cloud of gas and rocks likely reached more than eight miles high. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: In Morocco, ancient meeting hubs along commercial routes are being renovated to welcome tourists again. Artisans have moved back in to showcase their crafts to visitors. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details.
10: Fez is the second largest city in Morocco. The area is known for its crafts and old buildings, especially funduks. The structures functioned as rest stops and commercial meeting hubs along trade routes. But over the years, the condition of these buildings severely deteriorated. The artisans selling crafts and items in them started to dwindle. Now, a vast restoration project is underway.
9: There are approximately 10 funduks that have been completely restored. And we now have 30 funduks that are undergoing restoration. And therefore, a significant percentage of 120 hotels, that is, everything that belongs to the state is being restored. And this has a very important impact, especially in terms of preserving crafts.
10: Funduks used to be the heart of Fez. Artisans made and sold their crafts on the ground floor and often lived on the upper floors. The renovation of the funduks is an important opportunity for
9: craftspeople. I meet a lot of tourists. Before, I was in a marginal funduk, and it was not an opportunity to meet any of the tourists or customers. And now we are in a touristic area, and in turn, we are keen to be creative and innovate.
10: More than 30 artisans are currently working full-time in these three renovated funduks. None were working there before the renovation, since the sites were deemed unsafe and closed to the public.
9: The restoration process includes taking care of the foundations, as well as the tiles and wood, which is an essential component in funduks. Fortunately, there are companies that have existed for several decades which specialize in this field, and when we work with them, we are assured that the work will be completed in the best conditions and up to the best standards.
10: Today, the funduks are a great display of local skills and culture. They welcome between 10 and 30 tourists daily. Fez features 120 funduks in total. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: A well full of treasure was found in the German state of Bavaria. Inside are ritual deposits from the Bronze Age dating back around 3,000 years. The well reaches 16 feet in depth and has a well-preserved interior. Archaeologists found bronze clothespins, metal spirals, and more than 70 ceramic vessels. These vessels were typically used as burial objects during the Bronze Age. They are all intact, indicating they were carefully placed instead of simply thrown in. The area where the well was discovered is an ancient human settlement said to have first been inhabited about 9,000 years ago. But none of the wells found before contain as much treasure as this one. Water was the origin of ancient civilizations, and wells thus became the center of communities. Wishing wells also play a key role in European folklore, where people drop gold coins. The tradition is still observed now in many European fountains. And coming up, a Michigan utility is training inmates in a new trade and helping them rejoin their communities. And a fun-filled tennis exhibition match Star players showed off their best tricks to raise funds for Ukraine. We'll be back with more soon here on NTD News. A Michigan project is training prisoners to become arborists, an opportunity both to earn a living and give back to their communities. Here's that story.
11: More than 20 feet above the ground, Levante Choice is settling into his new job as a tree trimmer.
5: This whole situation with me having this career, being able to reintegrate into society and have the opportunities that I have is is a blessing.
11: He's one of the more than a dozen inmates in training to improve electrical infrastructure in Michigan. The project is operated by DTE Energy, one of the state's largest electric utilities
10: the biggest issue impacting delivery of, uh, of electricity is trees there's no way around that and so in order to give the our customers the service they need we have had to hire tree trimmers from out of state
11: outside parnell's vocational village trainees are learning how to climb trees and trim branches around power lines among them is scott steffes having served a four-year sentence for domestic violence previously he served time for theft and larceny. it was a lost cause
3: Uh, Literally, you're living day by day with the unknown, Uh, but now being into this program, learning and being offered employment, now I know where I'm going to be down the road, and I found a home with this company.
11: In 2021, DTE Energy partnered with the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. Residents from Detroit and surrounding communities were recruited to enroll in the Tree Trim Academy. The goal is to train locals on line clearing. Academy students earn a daily stipend of $50 for the first two weeks of the program, which then grows to $100 for the remaining five weeks. The pay is more lucrative as a professional woodsman.
2: So I've never made this much money, you know, and I've never had a career. So I've never thought about ever being in a situation
11: like this, but I'm glad I'm here now. Jeffrey Ganels was sentenced in 2018 to up to 15 years in prison for armed robbery and was paroled last April. He's now an instructor in the program and a certified arborist. You have guys that
10: are so grateful for an opportunity and that are hungry to get out here and work and contribute to the well-being of their families and their communities and, and basically redeem themselves.
11: To date, approximately 100 people have graduated from the academy.
0: Police in Albuquerque, New Mexico made an unusual discovery Tuesday, a Bengal tiger. The 20-pound cub was found inside a dog crate inside a mobile home. Officers were responding to gunshots near a convenience store when they heard gunfire from the mobile home. That's where the officers found a suspect armed with a semi-automatic handgun and took him into custody. They also saw a trail of blood leading into another trailer. The officers didn't find anyone inside, but they did find the tiger cub. Police say the animal is safe and in custody of New Mexico Game and Fish. The cub will stay at the ABQ Biopark until a permanent home can be found. Veterinarians say the young animal was in good health. Meanwhile, the investigation into the shooting is ongoing. You may have heard of the movie Devotion. It's based on the true story of two Navy pilots during the Korean War. But did you know that the founder of FedEx, Fred Smith, is donating the proceeds from the film? So on the side, I've been in the film business for a long time and we made a lot of movies
11: and uh, this story of Brown and Hudner just struck a note with me uh, that these two men, particularly Brown, had never received the kind of recognition that they should have received.
0: Smith is a 78-year-old Marine Corps veteran. He has stepped down as the CEO of FedEx but remains its executive chairman. Over the years, the billionaire has done little to publicize his philanthropic donations But he agreed to speak about a somewhat unusual donation to the Marine Corps Scholarship Foundation. The proceeds will fund scholarships for the children of Navy service members studying STEM. Smith is gifting the proceeds from the film donation. It's a movie released in November 2022, which Smith financed. Devotion tells the true story of Jesse Brown, the first black aviator in U.S. Navy history, and his fellow pilot Tom Hudner during the Korean War. The oldest living survivor of the attack on Pearl Harbor is marking his 105th birthday at the National World War II Museum in New Orleans. Joseph Eskenazi of Redondo Beach, California, boarded an Amtrak train Friday for the journey. He arrived at the museum Wednesday posing for pictures with six other World War II veterans amid exhibits of decades-old sea vessels and aircraft.
10: I just don't even know why my hand just went up when they asked for volunteers. Nobody else raised their hand because they knew that it it meant death. Because they told you never volunteer in the army. But just the same I I had to do I I did it unconsciously.
8: It's really quite an honor to be with them
10: because they really served their country very well. You heard their stories and uh, I was part of it.
2: We always say this is their museum. This is a World War II veterans museum. We exist for them. Being able to have seven of them here at the same time is just a really special day for all of us.
0: These veterans later visited the sprawling museum thanks to the Soaring Valor Program. It's a project of the Gary Sinus Foundation dedicated to aiding veterans and first responders. A star-studded night of tennis and entertainment, 22-time Grand Slam champion Rafael Nadal and a host of leading players made headlines at a charity event while raising funds for children in Ukraine. The tennis stars showed off their best trick shots in the Tennis Plays for Peace event. In a skills challenge, Nadal tried to hit tennis balls into either of two pools. Each stroke meant a $1,000 donation to the charity. Nadal also played in mixed doubles with Ukraine's Marta Kostyuk, who hit a difficult shot between the legs. This duel ended with Australia's player hitting the ball into the net. In the other mixed doubles, a Bulgarian player missed after Greece's player hit an overhead wide shot. Nadal called it out and later hit a forehand return. Champions also played a game of dingles, combining singles and doubles. Nadal, as always, was a crowd favorite, hitting winners with a smile and cheekily helping out the umpire with a range of tight calls. Another highlight was the Battle of the Centurions, featuring two veteran tennis players approaching the age of 100. One was a 98-year-old from Ukraine, recognized by Guinness World Records in 2022 as the world's oldest tennis player. While bringing joy to the Melbourne crowd, they raised funds for humanitarian work in Ukraine. All proceeds from the event are headed to the United Nations Children's Fund. If you want to reduce inflammation, your risk of diabetes, and improve your heart health, you can start by eating according to your body's natural cycles. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body.
6: We've probably all been binging like crazy this last couple of months. The silly season is indeed all about fattening up. But in retrospect, these holiday evening feasts haven't done any good for our blood pressure, or our cholesterol levels, or other indicators of heart health for that matter. But it's not just what you eat that's the problem, it's when you eat. That's according to a new study and a growing list of research. The findings were recently presented at the American Heart Association's Scientific Sessions meeting. Researchers showed that people who ate the bulk of their calories after 6 p.m. had higher blood pressure and cholesterol. This compounds the dangers of eating later in the day. It's also associated with higher insulin and fasting blood sugar levels. It's not necessarily the food that causes these problems either. Instead, your body has a natural work schedule. It's called the circadian rhythm. Your digestive system, cells, and the organs in your metabolism follow this rhythm. These various components start to shut down in the evening. To put it simply, they're not in the mood to work, and they don't do an optimal job. This can result in inflammation higher blood pressure, elevated cholesterol, and weakened glucose metabolism. To improve your overall health, line up your eating times a little better with the circadian rhythm. This means focusing your big meals like breakfast and lunch earlier in the day. Then in the evenings, eat smaller, lighter, easily digestible meals. A few examples include salads, eggs, vegetables, fruit, and tofu.
0: That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.